Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And this is the tech news for Tuesday, May the 4th, 2021. May the 4th be with you. It's Star Wars Day. I wish I had a full story about the retractable lightsaber that uh, Damaro, the head of Walt Disney World amusement parks, showed off last month. But I don't have any extra info to give. I just I really want to see one of these things working in action. From what we understand, the one he had was a, a prototype. It wasn't like fully machined to look like a lightsaber hilt, but it, it demonstrated the basic technology, which is kind of like having a pair of um, tape measures, extendable tape measures, uh, move out and then retract back. Only they happen to have, you know, lights that allow it to light up like a lightsaber. Super cool. Can't wait to see it. Wish I had more to talk about about that for Star Wars Day, but I don't. So instead, let's move on to the actual tech news. The top story is one I'm sure many of you have already seen. Verizon is prepping for the sale of two companies that have changed hands a few times over the years, that being Yahoo and AOL. All right, let's walk through this, shall we? So way back in the day, AOL and Yahoo were both unquestionably two of the most powerful companies of the early days of the internet. Uh, It was something of a running gag, in the 90s that if you went out to check your mail, you had a decent shot of bringing back at least one AOL boot CD into the house. The company sent out starter kits like crazy in the 90s. And for a lot of people in the early days of the internet, uh, America Online was synonymous with internet. AOL's history dates back to the 1980s if you look at the constituent parts that made up the company. And it was an online service provider first, which meant it kind of served as like a news portal and a message board system and email for other AOL members, but not to like the internet at large, even hosted a few games. Later, it incorporated a web browser and became a gateway that a lot of folks relied upon to actually explore the World Wide Web, not just a you know segmented version of it on AOL servers. In 2000, Time Warner and AOL announced a merger plan, which came to fruition in early 2001. And in retrospect, a lot of people identify that particular merger as a huge mistake. The value of AOL Time Warner went into decline, which is a a gentle way of putting it. It kind of plummeted. And Time Warner ultimately spun off AOL as a separate company in 2009, Verizon would turn around and purchase AOL in 2015 for $4.4 billion. As for Yahoo, it started off as a web portal with curated content back in 1994. Yahoo employees would actually find cool stuff and feature it on the Yahoo page. Uh, It mostly became known for search and also hosting and later generating content. And of course, the recently deceased Yahoo Answers service. Yahoo was incredibly popular as a website, but it began to lose ground to Google for the search business. It was particularly susceptible to stock price inflation during the dot-com bubble. Shares rose up to around $118, but during the low point post the dot-com bubble bursting, 
the low was around $8 a share. That's a, a crazy drop from $118 per share to $8 per share. Yikes. Microsoft attempted to acquire Yahoo in 2008, but that deal fell through. Yahoo saw leadership changes happen a few times in the 2000s, with Marissa Meyer coming on over from Google to be the CEO of Yahoo in 2012. Meyer oversaw a huge acquisition with Tumblr that year. Yahoo purchased Tumblr for $1.1 billion. This, by the way, would also be called a really bad business deal in tech at least in retrospect. Though to be fair, Yahoo had made an even worse deal much earlier, back in 1999 when it bought GeoCities for $4 billion. Tumblr is no longer under Yahoo, by the way. Uh, Verizon, after purchasing Yahoo, would spin off Tumblr and sell it off to a different company. Verizon announced its intent to acquire Yahoo in 2016 for $4.83 billion. So now Verizon, the latest company to discover that it couldn't really leverage the acquisitions it had made, is now selling off both AOL and Yahoo. Uh, the buyer is a private equity firm called Apollo Global Management. And according to the New York Times, the talks are still in the early stages and could fall apart. In fact, who knows, maybe they've dissolved by the time you hear this. I don't know. But from what I understand, the two companies together are valued in the 4 to $5 billion range. So... That is effectively half of what Verizon paid for them when it made the the two separate purchases in 2015 and 2016. So that's a toughie. As for Apollo, uh, it's hard for me to get a handle on that company. It's acquired a lot of stuff already, and it's not exactly all in the tech space. In fact, uh, it includes the Venetian Resort in Las Vegas and the retail store chain Michaels that sells, you know, hobby equipment. So... It is uh, looks like it's a, a just a, an equity company that's just investing in a very diverse group of businesses. I will follow up on this story as it develops. The Verge's Tom Warren has a fun piece titled Sony Really Hated PS4 Crossplay Confidential Documents Reveal. And I recommend actually, you know, going over and reading that on The Verge, but here's the really short version. So crossplay is when you've got a game uh, that has some sort of online component, and people who are playing that game on different systems can still play together online in that game. So let's use an example like Minecraft. This game exists on pretty much every platform that exists. You can play it on PC or Xbox or Nintendo or PlayStation or mobile. And friends tend to like to play in the same games together online, but if I'm running... Minecraft on an Xbox and you happen to have it on PlayStation, we can't play together unless the title we're playing supports crossplay and more importantly that the consoles support crossplay. Minecraft did support crossplay but needed console buy-in to make that happen. Nintendo was a little slow to adopt it, possibly because Nintendo traditionally doesn't care to get involved in any experience that the company doesn't have full control over. And if it should pass that kids on Nintendo were to encounter adults on Xbox, the whole world could catch on fire. But Nintendo did ultimately support crossplay. Sony? Not so much. Well, Warren published an email that was written by an executive from Epic Games. Those are the makers of Fortnite. And the letter spells out the case to support crossplay for Fortnite, essentially pointing out that 
Ultimately, Sony had very little choice in the matter, considering the PlayStation popularity of Fortnite and how players wanted the chance to play with their friends who might be playing the game on other platforms. The letter is remarkable in that the executive makes several suggestions as to how Epic could support PlayStation adoption, including several ideas all geared toward making Sony you know, some sweet, sweet cash, but Sony declined to acquiesce to Epic's request until Sony implemented a pretty brutal strategy. Essentially, if it's clear that Sony PlayStation gamers are making up more than a given percentage of the bottom line of a game that has cross-platform play, Sony wants a royalty from developers. It wants to get money if it says, hey, if we're contributing to the success of this game, we want you to pay us for it. And this is meant to, quote, offset the reduction in revenue, end quote, resulting from Sony enabling crossplay. So how does enabling crossplay reduce revenue? That's an excellent question. Uh, If the games were exclusive to Sony, you'd have an easy argument, right? You would say, well, if you have an exclusive title suddenly become available on another platform, it means gamers have choice. And if they have choice, then maybe they choose something else. But if you have an online game that already is on multiple platforms, well, people already have a choice. They can go to whichever platform it's on and play it there. So that's the whole point. They just want to be able to play with each other, you know, whether you're on Xbox or PlayStation or PC or whatever. That's the whole point. I honestly don't know where the reduction in revenue comes from. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. It may very well be a factor, and I just i am not getting it. Uh, I don't understand how it works. So maybe it's a real thing, but and I'm just looking at it the wrong way. But when I look at it, I think that doesn't seem to track to me. By the way, if you guys hear, and I should have said this at the beginning, but if you hear any uh, thunder or whatever, Atlanta's in the middle of some pretty nasty thunderstorms right now. In fact, we had a tornado this morning. Uh, it didn't touch down close to where I live, but it did touch down in the city of Atlanta. So across town from where I am, um, I'm also in the city of Atlanta. I'm just not in that part. But yeah, we're still getting some thunder. I apologize for the rumblies, but um, the show, as they say, has to keep going. I think that's I think that's how that saying goes. All right. So sticking with Sony for just a second longer, the company also announced a new partnership between Discord and Sony Interactive Entertainment. So Discord is a popular social platform that grew up around gaming, though a lot of activity on Discord doesn't involve gaming at all. And Discord allows users to create what are called servers, though these are not the same thing as like web servers. Anyway, servers can host chat rooms, uh, text-based chat rooms or video and, and audio chat, voice chat. So a lot of gamers will use Discord as a chat tool to communicate with their friends while they play games together. You know, some games don't support in-game chat. Uh, Some games, oh my gosh, the storm's really coming in. Some games support in-game chat, but they don't have uh, really good tools for it, and Discord's meant to work around that. According to Jim Ryan, the president and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment, The goal is to merge the PlayStation and Discord experiences on consoles and mobile, and it sounds like the timeline is aiming for a 2022 integration, which sounds pretty nifty, unlike the thunder outside, which just sounds intimidating as all get out. Now, I'm sure all of y'all have heard about Clubhouse, the iOS app that lets people log into audio-only rooms and listen to people chat about stuff 
Now it got a lot of early buzz with lots of famous people using it to talk about famous people stuff or for tech executives to talk about tech executive stuff, you know, like how many islands they've bought or whatever. My own knowledge of Clubhouse is pretty vague because I don't own an iPhone, so I'm not allowed in the Clubhouse. It says no Androids allowed, so I'm not I'm not in there. I do know that there have been numerous concerns about the security of Clubhouse, however, but that's not what this story is about. Instead, I want to talk about Twitter because it's been slowly rolling out its own version of the same general idea. And Twitter's version is called Spaces. And now any Twitter user who has at least 600 followers can potentially host an audio-only chat room. And that includes me. I've got more than 600 followers. Maybe I'll try it out. Twitter also plans to experiment with ticketed events in the near future. So in these experiences, hosts will determine a ticket price to charge people who want to be part of this experience. Hosts will also get a chance to decide the limit, the, the, the cap of the number of tickets that are allowed to be sold. And Twitter will undoubtedly take a cut of those sales, but the company claims that the host will earn most of the revenue generated by the ticket sales. Now, I'm not likely to try and host a ticketed event, because I don't need the experience of that level of rejection. Plus, I mean, what the heck would I even do that would seem worthy of asking folks to hand over their hard-earned cash just to hear me yap about stuff? I guess I could do my amazing rendition of classic Beastie Boys songs, but most of the time people pay me to stop doing that. But hey, maybe we'll do an experiment with tech stuff at some point. Maybe I'll do like a, a teaser for upcoming episodes, or maybe a discussion about past topics. Who knows? Anyway, keep an eye out for spaces on Twitter. Charmin, the toilet paper company, has done it again. A few years back at, at CES, uh, the company introduced an, um, <clears throat> a cheeky little robot that would fetch toilet paper for you in case you were out. This was a little two-wheeled robot, had a little, like, bare face on it and it could balance a roll of toilet paper on top of the robot. It had like a spindle on the very top that you could put a roll of toilet paper on. They were presenting this as if the robot was retrieving the paper for you, but obviously someone had to put the toilet paper roll on the robot, and then it could wheel around and get to you. It also was not um, autonomous. It was remote controlled. It was all like a publicity stunt. It was very cute. But now Charmin has swooped in to help folks who are stuck on video calls when suddenly they feel the need to visit the facilities. The company calls it the BRB bot, the Be Right Back bot, and it's in beta right now. And here's how it works. You start up the bot app and it actually takes video of you and you're prompted to do a few different reactions so that the bot can learn how you respond to certain stimuli, such as maybe someone makes a joke or someone says something particularly interesting. Uh, it even prompts you to make some vocal responses. Specifically, I'll get right on that. Then, when you feel the need to scoot off to the bathroom, you can activate the bot, which will then supposedly have an AI-powered video doppelganger of yourself sitting in your place, reacting on your behalf. The idea being that it's using AI and machine learning to do this. Um, it works with a few different video conferencing services, and what I've seen is pretty funny. Uh, I don't know that it's actually using AI and machine learning all that much. To me, it just looked like it was running through the various facial expressions on kind of a loop, but I could be totally wrong about that. However, the company doesn't plan to release this app to the general public. It's another kind of PR stunt sort of thing. It does seem like a real shame because I could just imagine it 
saving me a lot of time by having it attend meetings on my behalf. But looks like I'm just going to be out of luck on that one. And our final story, Apple has rolled out the iOS update 14.5, which includes in it new rules regarding apps that Facebook really, really hates. In fact, I think Facebook hates this more than Sony hates crossplay. I mean, I'm sure other apps hate it too, but Facebook has made it incredibly apparent. So the new rules say that apps are no longer allowed to track users from app to app, like what what other apps they're using and how they're using other apps, like tracking information outside of the apps themselves uh, without giving the option for the users to opt out. So they have to say, hey, we want to track all your activity, but you do have the option to say, don't do that. But Facebook loves to track users. I mean, that is the product that Facebook is selling. It's your data. Facebook can take that data, your data, and use it to sell ad space. So Facebook's value proposition to advertisers is, hey, we know what our users like. We know what they look at on Facebook. We know what they look at on Instagram. And we know what they're looking at outside of Facebook and Instagram because we can track which apps they're using and how they're using and what they're doing on those apps. So if you advertise with us, we will make sure that your ads are seen by the people most likely to act on those ads. That's the sales pitch that Facebook is giving to advertisers. It means that Facebook can charge a lot for ultra-targeted ads and make billions of dollars every year. But the new Apple rules say that apps like Facebook and Instagram, which I'm sure I don't need to remind you, Facebook owns, have to alert users to this practice and give them the option to opt out. Now, it's clear Facebook does not want to do that, but it has to, or it risks being dropped from the Apple store. That would be disastrous. So instead, the company's opt-out message says, hey, you're on iOS 14.5. This version of iOS requires us to ask for permission to track some data from this device to improve your ads. And it goes on to say that the information used helps, quote, keep Facebook free of charge, end quote. Now, the implication here is that were Facebook not allowed to track all your activity, if you were to say, nah, Facebook, I don't want you to do that, that maybe down the line you'd have to pay for the Facebook app. And the same would be true for Instagram. Now, I don't buy any of that for a second because Facebook can still serve tons of ads even if you opt out, you're not going to an ad-free experience. You're still going to get lots of ads. It's just that those ads won't be quite as laser-focused targeted on you as they would be otherwise. Trust me, Facebook is not in danger of being turned out into the cold, harsh world without a scrap of bread to eat or a place to sleep. Facebook, believe me, is doing just fine but it sure is eager to discourage people from opting out of this tracking. Uh, oh, also, discouraging folks from opting out is technically against Apple's rules, or at least the spirit of those rules. So we'll have to wait and see if this type of messaging sticks around or if Apple pressures Facebook to knock it off. And that wraps up the news for Star Wars Day 2021, May the 4th. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions for things I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, reach out to me on Twitter. The handle is TechStuffHSW. Perhaps I'll be holding some Spaces sessions at some point to chat with folks. Don't know yet. Haven't really looked into it other than seeing the, the news item, but we'll see. And I will talk to you again 
really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 